this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast with me amit barua your host for this episode zar zindagi azadi women life freedom That's the slogan given by Iranian women protesters after 22-year-old Mahsa Amini died after being allegedly beaten in police custody for wearing a hijab improperly. The other popular slogan is death to the dictator. Over 40 persons have been killed in the protests in about 50 cities across Iran since Mahsa Amini's death. The protests continue in the face of a massive crackdown by the hardline Islamic regime even as internet bans continue. WhatsApp, Instagram and Skype have been shut down by the government. One of the fundamental demands of the protesting women is that wearing a hijab should not be mandatory. In some other societies it would be looked upon as a basic right but not in Iran. To discuss all these issues I'm joined by Anuradha Chenoy who retired as a professor in international relations from the Jawaharlal Nehru University. Welcome to the In Focus podcast Anuradha. Thank you uh, Amit delighted to be here. Anuradha for the benefit of our listeners could you place these current protests in context please? Right the issue is that Iran is overall quite a polarized society in the sense that the ruling regime is very conservative but at the other levels there are also uh, people who are fairly um, liberal and progressive and who would like uh, especially women they would like to be uh, treated more equally they would like to be in public spaces i might tell you that women in iran are given the rights to education and to work so it's not that they are confined to the homes but their confinement is of a different type they you can find them as doctors teachers you know and these kind of uh, professions but their restriction is on their bodies that is that they have to wear a hijab earlier it was like full covering but now it's you have to cover your head and you wear this black kind of uh, coat of your dress and that restricts your freedoms and your choices really so you know on on the 16th of uh, september this uh, young girl uh, interestingly from a province which uh, from of the, you know she's a she's a kurd from the western part of iran that borders iraq and uh, you know she was picked up by the morality police or the gashtairshad and um, while the protesters maintain that she was beaten and died in custody the regime has of course a, a different story and they say that uh, you know she was suffering from a medical ailment you know as someone who writes extensively and who watches the region did you expect that the protests would be so widespread uh this looks like a trigger which was very latent in society i remember ramit when you and i went to iran with uh, others uh, in a delegation i met a lot of uh, my old students who, who were iranian who'd studied here and if you go to their homes the women the minute they are inside the house they 
throw off their veils and they're free and they can sing and dance and entertain and that's what they want all the time so i think a lot of women in iran and men are tired of this restriction and this morality police is like a vigilante group within society i recall that you know i also had to wear this hijab and uh, the there was one other uh, journalist with me a woman journalist well known woman journalist from india we went to the market and it just went an inch behind our hair so while we had the hijab but we not conscious that it has to cover right to the forehead and someone came and tugged at us and said wear it properly so it was a frightening experience because we had heard that they can slap you or they can hit and be quite aggressive so there's a proper vigilante within that society and of course this vigilante are only possible when they have state sanction because the police looks other way even if you're being slapped because they they that's accepted uh, they have official sanction in a sense uh, a kind of uh, legitimacy from the state to do this so people are tired of this morality police uh, they want their freedoms they see this as inequality especially when women world over are looking for uh liberation from patriarchy from oppressions from the duality and the contradictions that they have to wear continuously in the public and private spaces on account of this so so anuradha you know uh, as you mentioned that uh, you know iran uh, is a country which allows women to work and their doctors and their lawyers and you know there are all kind people in, in in the public sphere but yet um, you know in this critical area of bodily freedom as you pointed out they don't have the liberty to wear or not wear a hijab so in such a situation i mean you know where we all know that uh, the iranian government the iranian regime is facing a very hostile international environment you know with sanctions uh, there were protests in 2019 20 on uh, you know uh, fuel prices so it is a country which is facing a lot of flack for other reasons and um, uh, in fact interestingly uh, the united states has imposed another set of sanctions uh, following masha amini's death you know on the morality police actually so in such a situation would you not expect uh, you know a regime to carry its people along so that you know in a sense uh, they can face the bigger enemy uh, you're absolutely right but there are various issues in this one is that this regime they have taken on to themselves the right to interpret islamic texts they don't want to give this right away and they believe that is their strength in that society they don't recognize that on the street there are changes and that people have the ability to read the texts and interpret it themselves but they don't want that to happen because that is a way of control so that is one thing and in this interpretation a lot of other islamic countries world over i mean we have practicing you know people who practice and believe they don't see this as a contradiction in their religion not wearing the hijab or working look at other places whether it's 
you know, Turkey or Pakistan or Indian Muslims or Indonesians, everywhere they have a choice. If you want to wear it, you wear it. That is a critical question. No one is stopping those women who believe it is part of their religious duty and reverence to wear it. No one. But if you don't want to wear it, you should have the choice not to wear it and also practice your religion. You're not excommunicated. You're not outside it. That kind of thing is a medieval practice. Now, that is one. But on the question of the larger geopolitics that you raised, and it's very critical, is that the US and the West and Israel actually sees Iran as a major threat in the region because Iran is a major power in, and if it is unshackled, it can be even a greater power. But they balance between Iran, Saudi Arabia, you know, the other West Asian countries. They don't want Iran to have an influence outside its zone. But while they don't, they blame and they talk about their intervention because they say this is a fundamentalist oppressive regime and we want to give freedom to the Iranian people, which is not really the case. Nobody from outside can give any people freedom. It has to come from within. But the Iranian regime collapses both the things. They feel that giving that, you know, their rule can only continue when they have this full control, especially over women. And that if women want to remove the hijab, they must be having a link with the West, which is not correct. The women are patriotic. They are anti-imperialist. And they have nothing to do with the US. And they know they can only get their rights from their own country and their own people. So that is what they want. So these two Ideas should not be collapsed into one and these women then be arrested or how the men supporting them be arrested. This is a step towards actually strengthening Iran and showing to the West that you are wrong. We are not an oppressive regime. We have elections. Our people have a right to say what they want and our women, they have demanded this. And we will give them this choice as opposed to saying that we will decide for them whether they, they have the right to remove the hijab. And those who remove it are actually anti-West, are pro-Western. They are not patriotic. They're not conforming to family values. It has nothing actually to do with that. It is just that everything, all this can coexist. And the regime must understand it and educate their people on this regard. That this should be, the, you know, the time has come. We are in, in the 21st century where we, our women are working. They, they can join the army if they wish. And therefore, they can do without the hijab. It's not, after all, men are, are as religious. They're conforming. They're not wearing it. So are men violating any codes by not wearing it? Why should they have this privilege? That is all that women are saying, that give us this autonomy for our bodies and our privilege, uh, because this is a symbol of oppression. It, it is a symbol of uh, our second-class citizenship, that our bodies are being controlled by men and the regime and the overall system of patriarchy. 
And my last point in this is that if you say this, then you, the Iranian regime and Iranian people are stronger in criticizing the U.S. They'll say, look at your Roe versus Wade, where you have not given the women the autonomy to choose your reproductive rights of abortion in, you know, world over. That is a right of women. But the U.S. has taken it away. And there's a women's movement against that state against that judiciary, but that's not weakening the US, is it? So I think the Iranian regime will strengthen if they give women this right that they are demanding. Uh, you know, another one of the things, uh, you know, in the information that has been coming out of Iran is that uh, they are targeting, in a sense, the supreme leader. You know, the slogans, if you hear, you know, many of which uh, may not be very comfortable to hear or one doesn't support them. But the fact remains is that uh, despite uh, the kind of uh, the facade that has been built up and a system since the uh, revolution in 79, it is a supreme leader which calls the shots. And as far as the rights of women are concerned, we've had at least uh, two uh, you know, moderate presidents, liberal presidents, uh, but despite their best efforts, they couldn't sort of, uh, you know, breach uh, this issue and give more rights to women. So do you think that there has to be a fundamental sort of reorientation of the regime if women are to uh, enjoy equal rights in Iran? Well, look, as, a, as far as the slogans uh, against uh, the supreme leader are concerned, I saw them. And uh, I think what happens in a lot of movements is that all kinds of groups get together and they can sometimes overtake the initial demands of the movement. Now, the demands, the actual demands of this movement is one. That is, we don't want to wear the hijab. We don't want this morality regime. We want a right to our freedom. But there is a wave of opposition to the regime also in Iran. And I think they might have joined this movement. But this, this slogan is not the slogan of the women's movement. So I think that has to be distinguished. But because there is no full freedom of expression, this is not coming out in the debates within Iran. That there is a women's movement with specific slogans and one specific demand. And there is an opposition which has also joined the ranks. And in a crowd, in a mass movement, you cannot distinguish who is who. So this gets mixed up. So it would be good if the women get a chance for a non-violent negotiation with the Iranian regime, because there, there is no uh, recognized women's movement at the grassroots, right? So there should be where there should be one which can negotiate with the state and explain that position without having every possible kind of opposition join this and with their own agendas. So I think in a sense, agendas, it seems to me, I might be wrong, but it seems to me that agendas have got mixed up and that the women should stick to their one point agenda at a time. This thing of remove and kill and all should not be there. So what about the nature of the regime itself, Anuradha? You know, the point I was making that, you know, there is a full control and in a sense, a veto power on all major decisions from the Supreme Leader. Correct. I think, I mean, obviously, it's not a proper democratic regime. Uh, there is a facade of uh, 
there is some amount of election so that is allowed but that change should come from a broader movement and uh, agreement within parliament etc but it should not be one in which the state itself collapses iran is a strong and important state and so it should recognize that very grad they can gradually move towards this and this would be a big step if they do this then the other steps of democratic negotiations can follow do mind you a regime which is under so much attack geopolitically where uh, the us would like a regime change for them it's not easy because they feel that the whole regime will collapse if they do open anything but that's not so i think actually if they very gradually uh, speak to their people see what they want and give in to some of their progressive demands which do not hurt the regime they would actually benefit and get stronger the whole argument in a lot of political regimes is that they have to control more and more and that is how they will have status quo and retain but actually the opposite is true as if anyone if you studied the history of how regimes collapse it's always this internal crack up when states think they are at their strongest they are actually the most brittle and prone to collapse but states which are flexible which adapt according to what people say carry people along explain to them and there is this continuous give and take uh, are regimes which last uh, much uh, longer i just want to broaden this a little bit uh, anuradha you know in your earlier comments you referred to roe versus wade uh, in the united states and closer to iran and india we have the taliban regime which is denying uh, you know girls students um, women students secondary education in schools so overall would you say that uh, you know there is actually so much pressure from some of these regimes whether it's coming from the judiciary or from a cabal of leaders who suddenly come to power in afghanistan and what we see in iran and what we see in saudi arabia and in some other countries would you say actually there's a retreat of women's rights Uh, globally yes to some extent uh, you've seen uh, there's such a backlash and the rise of uh, right wing governments uh, across the globe from the us to the furthest corner right round it where regimes which are coming into power Uh, are very male dominated or they rather they are very patriarchal so italy for example it has a woman prime minister for the first time but you'll see that ideology is one which will have a lot of phobias they'll have migrant phobia islamophobia russophobia sinophobia brown phobia black phobia uh, and ultimately women phobia that uh, if there is some issue it will be the woman's fault uh, even uh, though there is a woman prime minister like uh, india and bangladesh had women had women prime ministers but the overall status of women you know was not radically changed just because of them it changed because of the grassroots women's push and the democracy involved the democratic movements and very very gradually but there is this backlash where the system of where of male oppression suits uh, the male elite 
across countries. Some places it's much worse, especially with the Taliban, where violence and patriarchy is part of the culture of that system. Maybe it is thoroughly misplaced and they're destroying their own talent, but they feel women's task is reproduction, whereas their work is production. And they're taking their countries backwards. After all, development indicators year after year have shown that those countries where there is a good gender equation, where there is more equalities, they transform themselves faster. They are more developed and even their elite kind of develops. Now, in these current also economic conditions of neoliberalism, and we've seen world over the issue of debt, rising prices, inflation from the US to UK, to everywhere, to Africa. In this, there's a jobs crisis. And so the jobs are also being reserved for men and women are being told, go back to the house and do your household chores, bake cookies or make your falafels. So Anuraga, before I let you go, you know, I will, uh, it probably needs a full podcast, but I think it would be unfair not to bring up this question. That in India, we see uh, some girl students in Karnataka are fighting for the right to wear the hijab at the place of, uh, you know, in their education institution. So how do you look at this issue, you know, compared to whatever we've been discussing so far? This is exactly what I said, Amit, there should be choice. It should not be either or. And these two things are being collapsed because a lot of people who don't understand social reality are saying, look, in Iran, they don't want to wear the hijab. Here you want to wear it. But it is part of the same broader conceptual ideas. It's a question of choice. In Iran, also the women are not saying none of us want to wear it. They're saying that give us the choice. If we have the choice, we might wear it. But we also have the choice of not wearing it. So don't make a rule that you have to wear it. Like it's some kind of box that everyone is fitted into. Those who want to wear it will jolly well wear it. Even if we are fighting on the streets not to wear it, we might still wear it if we have a choice. The same thing women are saying here in Bangalore and in, the, in, in France, they said the same thing. That give us a choice. Your nuns wear, cover their hair. Why is it mandatory in France, in the schools, that you cannot wear the hijab in school when it is a country which gives choices. So people don't understand choices for women. They understand about choices for men. Now, if a man wants to cover his head, he will be allowed to. No one's going to say a thing. And if he wants to remove it, he can do it. But for a woman, it becomes an issue in, you know, and it's not understood that it is just a question of autonomy that our bodies are our business, not the business of the morality police, the state, or even my neighbor. Of course, there are moral codes, and everyone is aware of that. No one wants to violate those, so that can be there. But this issue that you have to be so covered up, and that if you're not, you're seen as sinful, as bad, as uh, anti-national, as a hundred other things. That is a question. It's just a question of autonomy and choice. And freedom means that. Freedom for a country and for, for a country also. It's our choice whether we want to be pro-American, pro-Russian, pro-Chinese or pro-ourselves. It's choice. 
So similar choice has to filter down to right to the bottom. Thanks. We leave it here for today, uh, Professor Anuradha Chenoy. Thank you so much for talking to the Hindus in Focus podcast. Thank you so much. I enjoyed this. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.